welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. So today is going to be referenced as Freedom Sunday. Not that any other Sunday is not a Freedom Sunday, but this is specifically a time that we are going to commit and dedicate to an understanding, a revelation of specifically three things, which I think it's interesting that it's July 3rd, and I'm going to talk about three things. So it's, so it's a trinity of trinities. And uh, the three things that I'm going to enumerate is going to be a revelation of, not just information, but a revelation of liberty, freedom, and independence. It is normal for me to minister in churches and freedom rallies. That's the irritating one. And in other ministry settings to where the average person sitting there listening to me don't have a clue that there's a difference between freedom and liberty other than the spelling. And so I want to make sure, at least at home, that I have a, a group of people that have a understanding, a revelation of the difference between freedom, liberty, and what we should call independence as people of God. So this is not a, a pro-America Sunday or anything like that. This is going to be always pro-Christ. Everything we do is pro-Christ, pro-kingdom. And every once in a while, America is actually aligned rightly. And so we get to be patriots as well. But when America is misaligned, don't you dare choose the wrong place to put your allegiance. I will pledge allegiance to that flag as long as it's under God. The moment they want to take under God out, I'm out. I'm out. And we need, to, we need to make sure that we get that right. All of these incredible, in fact, we've got tons of in the room veterans and, and fallen soldiers that have, that have gone to the battlefield and have fought for the stars and bars. I know that they fought more, for more than just a, a national border. They fought for more than, we have them in here and they can, they can yell at me if I'm wrong. But, they, it wasn't just the concept that they wanted to have a great nation. They knew that there was principles, that there was philosophies that we embraced as a nation about liberty, about freedom, about creating environments for people to have an opportunity to live their best lives ever, to be free from tyranny, to be, to be free from uh, the obstructions of maniacal Rulers and leaders who just want to terrorize folks. That's what they fought for. When they went overseas and they fought against Nazism and communism and socialism, which are now all being embraced on our college campuses, by the way, when they went and fought against that stuff, it wasn't just because they woke up one day and said, you know, I hate Nazis. 
They understood that there was a a principle that was deeply seated in their heart that that was wrong and they were willing to die to bring the right. And the core platform that created the right that we call in America is our godly Christian heritage and foundation. And if we get away from that, God help us. Because then all we are is just another nation in the world with just another flag filled with another group of people that have our cool songs and our cool language and our cool ways of life. And that is not what we are supposed to be. We are supposed to be a nation that is doing what it can to advance the gospel across this great land. Not only this great land, but also this great world. The first contract... I'm already off track. Love ya. The first contract that America ever had, and it was literally called a covenant, was the Mayflower Compact, and this was done in 1620. Those of you that remember American history, even even you public school students, you might remember that the pilgrims came over, one of the ships they came over was on the Mayflower, and on their way over, William Bradford, who was the leader, the general, the, the godly man in charge of that group of people sat down with those few folks, less than a hundred, and they drew up a covenant on their way over to our lands. And I want you to listen to the first ever covenant of people coming to make this a nation. This was what their hearts were impressed upon. Having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Amen. Man, wouldn't that be great to have somebody get elected to office in today's world and say, for the glory of God and for the advancement of Christian faith, I'm going to take this place in a U.S. government. Man, we look how far we've fallen. Now they don't even put their hands on the Bible anymore. having undertaken for the glory of God the advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these precepts solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and of one another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic. The first political body in our nation was a group of people covenanting with God to advance the Christian faith in this new nation. And I cannot tell you many times I have been lambasted, attacked, nonstop. Just this morning I had to block another person who was cussing out all of my followers. Because I'm a pastor, a preacher, who's in politics. Hello? to combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherances of the ends aforesaid. And by virtue, have to uh, hereof to enact laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions. 
They were saying that the first thing they were going to do after they get here was make sure that we had laws, ordinances, and constitutions that were going to help advance the Christian faith to the glory of God. And how many times have you heard someone say, well, you can't legislate morality. Tell that to God who wrote the Ten Commandments. We can legislate a land that makes people understand that morality can be rewarded and immorality can be dissuaded by our laws. I know we've lost that, and now we're rewarding immorality. If you don't believe me, go have three, four, five kids from different people and see how much money the government sends you to reward you for your choices. Amen. You get Section 8 housing, you'll get all kinds of government funding, and they'll probably put you on a poster and you'll be the one that they say, this is the reason that we have to raise your taxes. They are rewarding immorality, and they are causing folks like us who don't want to get inoculations, we want to work hard and not be molested by the government, we want to have... Uh, families that have a mommy and a daddy, and for those of you that aren't paying attention, that's a boy and a girl. And we want to be able to raise them in a country that is trying to preserve life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and do it in a building that's got a big cross on top of it. Well, not this one specifically, but you know what I mean. This is why I am so passionate and engaged in the system. I'm going to fight the government until they finally give up and make Jesus Lord. I'm going to fight politics until they finally give up and make Jesus Lord. And I pray that you fight with me. Because if we don't win, your grandkids are going to be able to salute. Right, Bob? And they'll pledge their allegiance to communism that's not under God. So I don't want my, my children, my grandchildren to have to fight a war that God called me to win. I pray you're with me. Patrick Henry, who was commonly referenced as the pen of the American Revolution. Right, one of the greatest writers and sometimes orators that has probably ever lived. His words persuaded people in ways that I can only dream about. And here's a, a very small, simple quote from him. He says, It is when a people forget God that tyrants forge their chains of slavery. So I'm not telling you you've got to be a wheels-off, hair-on-fire, lover of Jesus, and be all in as a disciple. But you better make sure that your country honors and fears God. Because the tyrants are waiting to forge their chains for our children, our grandchildren yet unborn. If we are not willing to proclaim, to believe in, and if necessary, to die for, the precepts of liberty, freedom, and independence. Liberty, according to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, which is very close to the time that our founding fathers were very adamant about using these terms, has this definition. 
Freedom from restraint in a general sense and applicable to the body or to the will or to the mind. The body is at liberty when not confined. The will or mind is at liberty when not checked or controlled. A man enjoys liberty when no physical force operates to restrain his actions or volitions. Noah Webster was actually one of the founding fathers, and he was very engaged in that process. And obviously we have Webster's Dictionary, and he was one of the most passionate Christians that you will ever find. That's why they've had to change dictionary definitions of things. Those of you that have been paying attention to the societal narratives that they're projecting from the left, that's why they have to redefine everything because the original definitions found their roots and their foundations in Christ, in biblical reality. So they have to keep readjusting everything. You know, now there's not mothers. There's there's womb possessor, possessors or some, what is it? Birth. <laughs> Could you imagine a baby's first word is birthing person? Pick me up. The first time a baby, if anybody could ever record the first words of a baby that says birthing person, it doesn't say mama, maybe you'll have a little bit of an argument. But until they stop saying mama. All right, I digress. Tabitha started it. Liberty is the breaking free or the setting free. From slavery, bondage, oppression, or captivity. The quickest way to conceptualize this is if you're in a prison cell, imagine a person in a prison cell, no windows, nothing there, a bed, a toilet, gray walls, bars. And then someone comes into the prison and says, You are innocent. We made a mistake and opens the prison door. That moment is what would be defined as liberation. They have been liberated from their captivity. Now, most people would say, then, therefore, they're free. No, they're not free. They're liberated. There is a huge difference. Because they can choose... To just stay there. You can swing that door wide. But if they do not leave that cell. They're liberated. But they are not living their lives in freedom. And I dare say that a large portion of believers of the body of Christ are in cells with doors open. And they say that we're free in Christ. And they'll, ju- they'll jump around and dance when we're singing all the freedom songs about Jesus. And when the drummer's getting it. But when they walk out the door and they're faced 
with all the gray walls and the bars of life, they know exactly where they're at. I am going to do this very concisely in Jesus' name. I've actually taken just this part of what I'm going to do and just this section is I've spent 45 minutes on. I will not in Jesus' name. But I, I want you to understand that our founding fathers were so biblically uh, advanced that even good, solid, Bible-thumping Christians in today's culture don't have, don't have the same grasp of Scriptures that the Founding Fathers had, and many of them weren't even Christians. That'll mess with you. There were non-Christians in 1776 that know the Bible more than probably everybody in this room. Non-Christians. Because we've become biblically illiterate, which is how the enemy is being able to come along and redefine and change the foundations that were once established on Scripture. So the Founding Fathers knew how important, how powerful, and how integrated Scripture was, not only in successful life, but in the precepts of freedom and liberty. And so they built the founding documents that established our nation on these precepts. Many of you have been offered, and even today you're being offered, a pocket constitution that it's been that the Lord placed on my heart a few years ago to make sure we started producing these and sending them for free all over the nation. And as I stand here, we've sent them to all 50 states in our nation. We send them for free. We get people asking us for for 50 copies, for 100 copies, for 500 copies. We got a pastor the other day that asked for 500 so he could get one to everybody in his congregation. I was like, yeah, baby, it's happening. And even though you've had that much access, let me show you how we don't really do the due diligence that is necessary for us to defend the rights that belong to us. Most people in this room probably cannot quote to me Luke 4, 18 and 19. And most people in this room cannot probably quote to me the First Amendment. Even though they are actually written in the same style the Founding Fathers leaned on, Luke 4, 18 and 19, to come up with the First Amendment, most people have never put those two together. So I'm going to do a little bit of constitutional training, but I'm going to do a lot of gospel. So I hope you can understand that these two do not have to be separated. You can actually conjoin them, but you have to be making sure that you're doing this through the Spirit of God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit, y'all. It's a small s spirit. 2 Corinthians 6.17 is where that's found. Small s spirit, and this literally means attitude or mentality. Where the attitude or the mentality of the Lord is, there's where freedom is. Because if it's just where the Holy Spirit is, and the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, 
which means he's everywhere in the universe. That means there'd be freedom everywhere in the universe. And there's not even freedom everywhere in this room. So it's not just where the Holy Spirit is. It's where the attitude or the mentality of the Lord is. You're not free until you have Christ as Lord. And I know that's going to mess with a ton of people. That'll be the clip that the leftists pull out from my message to say that I don't understand these things. But you cannot be free until the Son sets you free. Makes all the atheists mad, but it doesn't change it. Heaven's the one that invented liberty and freedom. I think it knows how it works. So in Luke 4, 18 and 19, I'm going to tell you about the first son of liberty, Jesus Christ, who preached the first sermon to the first church after he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. So he was like the founding father of the message of the gospel. And this would be his first declaration to the first church as the first son of liberty that came to the world to liberate mankind. And he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. For he has anointed me. That's called the preferatory clause. Those of you that have ever studied anything about constitutional law. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me for he has anointed me. Preferatory clause. I wish I could put it up here. I didn't think about it, but... Anybody, can anybody in here, and if you can't, that's fine, but can anybody quote the Second Amendment? Second Amendment. Amen. Bunch of people in here with guns, and you don't know the law on the gun. The Second Amendment says that for the well, a well-regulated militia being essential or being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, a bunch of people that hate guns and hate the Second Amendment and hate your rights to self-preservation and self-protection, they say, well, you see the beginning of that Second Amendment says that it's, that it's a well-regulated militia. And that's what the Second Amendment is for. But they don't understand that the Founding Fathers put in the preparatory clause, which is, there's a necessity for this amendment in the Bill of Rights because it is important in our society to have a well-regulated militia for the, per for the necessity of a free state. Now, just so you know, the Founding Fathers did not have an army. They didn't have the Marines. They didn't have the National Guard. You know what they had? Citizens with muskets. Amen. And the citizens with muskets were called the militia. So for the necessity of a free state, we had to have regular citizens with military-grade weapons. Yep. Military-grade weapons. The same weapons that the military had. In fact, the, one of the reasons that the Americans were successful in the American Revolution was because Americans figured out if you rifled the inside of a musket, that you were a thousand times more accurate. 
The British came over with their unrifled muskets and they just figured brute force. You put enough guys up, you fire enough balls at people and you'll kill people. The Americans figured out, hey, you know, if I hide behind a tree and shoot you with a rifled barrel, we die less. Thank God they figured that out. So you could say this. The American citizen had better weapons than the British military. You know, American citizens, when they wrote the Second Amendment, had cannons. Cannons, y'all. Remember when our foe president stood up and said, well, the Second Amendment didn't let people own cannons. You're right, because they owned them before the Second Amendment. The, the first and only warships that we had during the American Revolution were owned by who? The Navy? No. They were owned by Bob and Frank and, and Stephen. I don't know who Frank is, but that guy. Being necessary to a free state, a free nation, the people shall not have their rights infringed to keep and bear arms. The Founding Fathers knew what they were doing. This Second Amendment is built on these concepts. Preferatory clause, necessary for a free state, and then the action of that amendment, which is called the operative clause. The operative clause is you cannot mess with a citizen's right to keep and bear arms. The reason for it is because if we're going to have a free state, that's why the Second Amendment is written that way. Preferatory clause, operative clause. Jesus... They learn this from Jesus. Amen. Jesus is the smart guy always in every room. If somebody comes in and says, well, I'm really intelligent and I don't know God. The Bible says that they're a fool. Multiple times. If you do not honor God, if you do not know God, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Amen. They have two holidays. They have the former pride month that we've taken and now it's called the life month. But we'll let them go ahead and keep April 1st. That's the Fool's Day. The prefatory clause to what the Lord spoke in this very small sermon is, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me. This is telling you why He's about to declare what He's about to declare. He's about to declare five clauses. Those of you that don't know the First Amendment, the First Amendment has five clauses. The first clause of the First Amendment, of the first Bill of Rights, that the Founding Fathers said the government will never be able to ever touch, is the freedom of religion. Now I wonder why. 
I wonder why the very first clause in the very first Bill of Rights for the very first amendment, they said you can never, ever, ever have a government in this nation that will touch your religious freedoms. Because they knew that once religion was lost in the heart of man, all you were is slaves headed to a cell. And we've let it go. Right? Isn't there, a, isn't there a wall of separation between church and state? That's what you've been told. There's, there's people, good Christians that I know that have shared memes of a guy standing there with a sign where he's got a picture of church and a picture of the state and, he's, and there's a wall built there and he says, build this wall instead of building that Trump wall. So you want your state and your religion separated. If you do, you're a fool. Because that means you have to check your religion at the door when you leave your door. Because the rest of that is state. What the separation of church and state meant when it was penned, not in any of the founding documents, which was the state can never tell the church what to do ever. Not people in the church telling their state because they are citizens and this is a republic that is done through democratic means, which means that what the people want to have happen in their state is what happens in their state. And so if the people, if the populace is Christian, Bible-committed people, then the state is going to have to bow the knee to what those people want. I don't know why that's complicated. But if the state ever comes in here and says, hey, you know what, Pastor Steve, here's what you're going to (laughs) do. I should say, well, state, here's what you're going to do, according to the Second Amendment. Don't make me get my musket. The five clauses in the First Amendment, first is the freedom of religion. The second one is the freedom of speech. Why? To proclaim things that need to be proclaimed. If you can't proclaim truth, you can have all the religion that you want, but you are not a threat to a tyrannical government. And the freedom of the press, that's gone gone unless you unless you have some kind of a connection to what's called alternative media or alternative news you haven't got any press in a long time they've been jamming lies down our throats for at least a solid decade it is not it is not the nightly news it's the nightly prophecy they prophesy what they want to have happen in the nation And just so you know, they are not prophesying from heaven. They are prophesying from hell. The freedom of the speech, the freedom of press, the right of the people to peaceably assembly. Unless we're obviously in a pandemic, then you need to hide in your basement, wear a mask, stay six feet apart. You don't assemble at that time. And then the last one is to petition the government for grievances. (laughs) Yeah. 
Anybody in here been violated in the last two years by employers, by school districts, by, yeah, yeah, that redressing the government, that's been working out real good for us, haven't it? Somebody talked to all the J6 prisoners who were picked up because they were taking selfies in the Capitol and find out how that redressed the government for grievances because they've been sitting in jail for nearly two years with trespassing charges. Interesting. Jesus also, after his prefatory clause, gave us five First Amendment, five clauses. Jesus' first message. First Amendment of the first Bill of Rights from the first founding fathers for the first people that were ever going to live in liberty. First message from the first Son of Liberty to the first church who were going to live in the liberty that the Spirit of God brought. Both had five clauses. I know, it's probably coincidental. The five operative clauses from our Lord in the first message to the first church as the first son of liberty is, number one, to preach the gospel to the poor. They have been trying to take prosperity out the gospel since Jesus put it in. In fact, they actually say it's good news if you're poor. The poorer you are, the gooder. Right? Because then you don't have the same temptations as wealthy people. You're right. All you've got is temptations like eating. It, it is a sad state of affairs that religion has effectively taught people that God, before time existed in heaven, lived in, and everybody that lived with him lived in a very wealthy place. Can, can I get an amen that heaven is a very wealthy, beautiful place? Amen on that? So then God built a version of heaven called the garden and placed people in there and literally said, you can have, there is so much abundance here that you, you will never run out of my flamboyant provision, just don't touch this one tree. Put them in the most wealthy place that had ever been created to that moment. So there was prosperity before mankind. There was prosperity in the birth of mankind. The first thing God tells Abraham is, I'm going to make you rich. I'm God. How are you? I'm going to make you rich. It's the first thing he says to him. And what happened to Abraham? Anybody know? He was rich. So you got prosperity pre-people. You got prosperity with people. You got prosperity before Christ. And then for some reason, everybody believes that Jesus came along and said, Oh, I'm changing all that. Now you need to be broke. The broker, the better. And oh, by the way, here's what's going to make you feel better about being broke. One day you're going to die and go to heaven and it's rich again. So broke people are literally supposed to have hope in and look forward to going to a wealthy place after their life. This is what's going to help you be okay with your brokenness. Are you following me? This isn't even logical. 
that God would say, prosperity here, prosperity here, none here, but then you need to look forward to more prosperity here. Prosperity is evil, wicked, and bad, unless you're going to heaven. Then you should look forward to it and desire it and invite people into it. The first thing that Jesus said, remember the first amendment of the first uh, bill of rights to the first people that were going to live in the first free nation was, you cannot touch my religion. And Jesus says the first clause of his first sermon as the first son of liberty to the first church, to the first people says, don't take out the prosperity that I'm putting in the good news. And then religion came along and said, well, take that out. Just like our government came along and said, religion, that's a non-essential function. Lock the doors. You can watch YouTube church. And as mad as we are at the government because they're thinking that they can tell us how to do church, how many people are telling Jesus how to do the gospel? No, 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 that gospel has to have poverty in it. Okay. First clause, preach the gospel to the poor. Second clause, heal the brokenhearted. Heal the brokenhearted. Man. The first thing that Jesus wants to deal with after he puts prosperity back in the reality of the good news is he wants to get to the center of your heart and make it right. In other words, there should never be brokenness in anybody that has come to the gospel. And how many churches have we erected in the name of gathering the broken? Come here. You're broken. We want you to stay broken and be broken. We'll all be broken together. We'll have some... We'll have some side broken groups. You'll be the alcohol broken group and you can be the drug broken group and you can be the sex broken group and you can be the, or you're the divorce broken group and you're the, we'll have all of our special groups and we'll all meet together in one broken building, a bunch of broken people and we'll lick each other's wounds. And the first thing Jesus said is that when you come to the, understand the good news is that broken heartedness is going to be healed. And there are people that call themselves Christians that something bad happened to them when they were five years old and eight years old and they've hung on that sucker as with death grip, white knuckling that brokenness that happened to them and ain't nobody taking that away from them. Because it was real and it happened to me and you need to empathize in my situation. And I've come to these people and I said, you know, the Lord will want to heal that. How dare you? How dare you not have understanding of how much I've gone through and how much pain I have in my life? Second clause from the first son of liberty is be liberated from brokenheartedness. Third clause to proclaim liberty to the captives. The third thing that the first son of liberty came and preached to the first church, to the first people that were going to embrace the message of the son of liberty was, you need to be liberated. Only free people can love. Did you know that? If I took, if I took Kay and put her in a jail cell, locked the door and said, now, When you start loving me, 
I'll open the door every once in a while. And a lot of people think God does them that way. When you act right, when you perform the way I want, then I, God, will give you a little bit of love. But as soon as you start acting a fool, slam! No love for you. Now, you better perform good, little monkey on a string. You better make sure you do exactly what I want. I mean exactly, don't you violate one of my precepts, commandments, ordinances, because I will pull love back from you in a heartbeat. You cannot love unless you are actually free. All I can do is invite Kay into my love and freely give her as much love as I possibly can. And the cool thing about the agape of God is that God's kind of love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Never fails. That means if I give her real, true, authentic agape love, and I give it to her from my heart, and I give it to her under the power of Jesus Christ, it's going to make me irresistible. And Some of you have seen it, where she just sees me and just like, just slobbers with... Obviously, you all know I haven't gotten there yet, so I'm still, I'm still agape in her, but this is how God does. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And anybody that believes in Him will not perish and have everlasting life. He loved you first. First John 4 says that we love Him because He first loved us. Only free people can authentically love. And this is why some of you struggle in your love for God and from God. Because you're still imprisoned. The third clause is to be liberated, delivered, pardoned. The fourth clause is recovering of sight to the blind. Now, this is so interesting. Because if you go read Isaiah 61, it ain't in there. If you, if you follow what's going on in this message, Jesus went and sat down in his hometown church. And while he was chilling there, the rabbi said, Hey, Jesus is here. We really like him. He's an awesome kid. Hey, Jesus, you want to come up and share something? And was delivered unto him the scroll of Isaiah. And so he took the scroll and it says that he found the place where it was written. This is Isaiah 61. Don't you know there was some really interesting silence while Jesus went through this huge scroll to try to find Isaiah 61. And they weren't numbered in those Hebrew scrolls the way it was in your Bible. Jesus literally had to find the place where it started off. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me. Could you imagine the silence in that church? I don't know how long that would have took. Let's call it three minutes. Now, obviously, Jesus knew the Bible well. But I'm saying, this was a huge scroll. And he found the place where it was written. Don't you know everybody was hanging on what he was... What's he doing? Why is he going so far down the... Why doesn't he just read that? It's all God's Word, right? It's all good. Just read something. I mean, we've got things to do. We've got lunch in the, in the crock pot. Like, come on, Jesus. 
And he found the place where it was written. And if you read in your Bible right now, in Isaiah 61, it does not say to heal the blind. Jesus quoted from the Septuagint. And you might have heard Doc Ryan reference that last week. The Septuagint was the Greek version of the Scriptures. And in the Septuagint, it says, heal the blind. Now, isn't that interesting? He quoted from the version of the Bible that had the healing in it instead of the version of the Bible that didn't have healing in it. I wonder if that should tell everyone what the Lord's opinion of healing is. And they've been trying to take healing out of the gospel ever since. Dispensationalists have come along and said, well, you know, healing died with the apostles. You know, I mean, God God loved to heal people right up until like 90, 90, and then everybody, you can just die. You can have body parts fall off. You can be sick. I mean, like on Tuesday, Peter was still alive, and everybody could still be healed if you could get to Peter. But on Wednesday, he died, and y'all are just damned. There ain't nothing we can do for you because Peter died. In other words, the apostles' death actually had more impact on the world than Jesus' death. It's called dispensationalism, and it is a lie from hell. God didn't dispense to one group of people a special version of the gospel, and then some other version, and then some other people got some other lesser version of the gospel. Well, there used to be healing in it, but now there's not. This is gospel 2.0. No healing for you. And <laughs> we have entire denominations that believe this. The fourth clause. Jesus put healing back in the gospel. And then he went and demonstrated it. Can I get a witness that Jesus healed some folks? He didn't just preach it. He lived it. The fifth clause. In the King James it says, Set at liberty them that are bruised. But what this actually says, let me, those of you that are hip with your interlinear from Bible Hub, amen? All that. Come on, guys. You should check out your interlinear and, and note that one of the ways to state this is to send forth into freedom this word for send forth is the word that we get apostle from. So he literally came to people and he wanted to Apostle them into freedom. Only those that were oppressed. Man, I could spend half an hour right here. I need you to get this. Some people, the reason that your religion, quote unquote, your gospel, your your new birth, whatever you got, the reason that for some of you it's really not that powerful, it's really not that transformative, is because you've never had a true revelation or understanding of how deeply oppressed, lost, de- destitute, weak, broken, and damnable you were. 
And because of that, I mean, you really weren't that bad of a person. And so Jesus kind of came along and you weren't that, he just kind of nudged you a little bit on the good side and you're good to go. You know, the, the terrible reality to that is you've never been actually liberated from the satanic oppression that grips humanity. And so therefore you don't have anything to go and give people. All you can do is go and nudge people a little bit to the right side. Hey, 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 don't cuss. Smoke less cigarettes. You don't have this deep liberation from satanic, devilish oppression. And so the Lord cannot apostolicize you into actually going and giving freedom away. Now, am I saying that only people that have this like huge testimony of living in a gutter and being a drunk for 20 years and everything in their life was completely obliterated and then Jesus showed up and picked them up in a glory cloud and placed them in a, in a five-star hotel and said, I love you. No, I'm, but I'm saying like, you can still be a really incredible, wonderful person and come to the realization that all of your righteousness is as a filthy, dirty, Dank menstrual rag. <sighs> Preaching now. You can have this revelation and you don't have to go into the same exact debauchery that other people went into. You can actually just recognize the fact that you are incapable of saving yourself and you need a Savior which is no greater than the person in the gutter that's drunk, thrown up on himself who needs a Savior. They both need the Savior exactly. This person can't save themselves This person can't save themselves. They are both trapped in oppression from Satan and need to be liberated. And this is why so many people that grew up in good lives, good homes, you know, we live in middle class America, but it hasn't really been that terrible. Maybe some horrible things never really happened to you. It's just been okay life. This is why when somebody comes along with the gospel, say, hey, you want to be saved? Yeah, I'll be saved. That's cool. I'll put a little cherry on top of my cake. You, you probably have never really had the thing happen in your heart where you realize, oh my God, I was lost. I belong to Satan. And Jesus rescued me from the kingdom of darkness and placed me into the kingdom of his dear son. All because he loved me? I didn't earn any of it? Those people he apostolicizes to send out to teach other people to live in freedom. There is no freedom that does not start with liberty. Even one who is born free, all of you Americans, must have a personal realization of your liberation. Even if you're born American, there comes a place in your life, hopefully before you hit 18 and you leave your parents' house, there comes a moment in your life that you have to realize that this freedom that you were born into came at a terrible price to someone else so that you could have it. 
Freedom is not free. All of these put together end up with the conclusionary clause, which is to, which is to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is what we call the Jubilee. So Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon him, for he has anointed him. The preparatory clause. And then said the five clauses that we are all supposed to be living in. And when you're living in those five clauses, you are going to embody, embrace, and experience the jubilee that he, the Christ, came to give you. You are not living in the jubilee unless you have a revelation of these five things. Slavery is subtle. Anybody ever read Genesis chapter 2 or 3? Why did the enemy, why did the devil not come as a woolly mammoth with great big huge 50 foot tusks and say, Eve, you better eat the fruit or I'll tusk you. Why did the devil not come and show up as a, as a six-foot lion? Ah, eat the fruit, or I'll eat you. Has anybody ever thought about it? The Bible specifically tells us why the devil showed up as a snake. Because the snake was subtle. You know what subtle is? Hey, your parents don't really love you. If they loved you, they wouldn't make you go to church on Sunday. They'd let you just go bang around, play in the pool. I mean, it's a really nice day out. If your parents really loved you, this is what they'd do. And then a little bit of resentment builds up in their heart. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe if my parents really loved me, they wouldn't drag me to church and make me meet God. I can meet God at home. I don't need my parents taking me to... Now, you can follow this. Put this in your language, whatever you got. Because all of us have this. This is the, sub, the subtility of the enemy. Where he comes in and says, look, you know, marriage is old-fashioned. Really old-fashioned. That's just for like those 80-year-old people. and They didn't know any better. They didn't know that we'd been sexually liberated. Right? Now we're, now we're free. Now we've got a lot more things available to us in 2022. And so we don't have to do that whole marriage thing and premarital and the stupid church stuff. Look, we can get married, justice of the peace, overnight after we live together for 10 years. It's not a big, you need to make sure that you're compatible before you get married because you know you don't want to be divorced. Subtility. Subtle. You, you don't need a, you don't need a man in your life. You can be a strong woman. Raise that kid by yourself. These things come in and they're subtle and they sound good. They sound good. Wouldn't it be good to collect taxes from all the rich people and give it to the poor people? Bunch of rich jerks. They're just buying yachts anyway. We should give it to the poor people. How'd they get poor? Anybody ever ask? How did the rich guy get rich? And how did the poor guy get poor? Does anybody ever ask that question to maybe figure out, well, maybe he made better choices? It's possible. 
We just get sucked into these narratives. We call them Robin Hood laws, right? Robin Hood, the hero from Sherwood Forest who comes in with his amazing bow and arrow and pluck. Take that, Sheriff of Nottingham, you jerk. Now give me all the money and I'm going to go give it to all my poor friends. Yay, Robin Hood's awesome. Where did the sheriff get the money? Did he print it? No, that's only in America. <laughs> the problem, uh, I can't remember who's, who coined this phrase, but the problem with socialism, communism, is that when you run out of other people's money, you can't give it away anymore. Yeah. Margaret, Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher, thank you. It is, why is that okay to just go and say, well, you have too much, I'm going to take some. Is, wouldn't we call that stealing at any other time? I mean, if that philosophy works, why can't I just go walk out in a parking lot and say, well, you know, I mean, Cheryl's got to have two cars, so I'm just going to steal one. No, you can't do that. Why not? Because you're not the government. <laughs> This is subtle. This is how this works. It's very, very subtle. Anything you get from the government came from somebody else. They They don't actually make money. I don't know why people don't get this. They're not actually producing a product or a service that they're selling and people appreciate. It's literally the opposite. You're making goods and services and they're taking your money. For you making goods and services. The Bible's real clear on this. If you don't work, you don't eat. The government's the opposite way. You don't work, we'll feed you good. The less you work, the more we'll feed you. Slavery is subtle. Don't you know that prison cell door is open? No, you're free. You're free. Right? Jesus came in and he opened the cell door. So you're living in freedom. But I still have this addiction, and I still have hatred towards my spouse, and you know I'm not raising my kids right, and I, I don't know how to live this new life. It's because we've never submitted to the apostolization of people being sent into our lives by Jesus, the first Son of Liberty, to teach us how to live in freedom. Everything's changed in your life. You've been liberated. Now let me show you how to live in freedom. The natural state of humanity is not freedom. The natural state of humanity is comfort. If you don't believe me, go visit the nursery. The natural state of people is one to be comfortable. Very few of you woke up today and said, well, let me find the most uncomfortable things I can get done today. No. Man, I want to, that, they better, I hope they fluff those purple chairs before I get there. Oh, the air conditioner's not right. Jeez. I'm not even going to church. If that air conditioner don't get fixed at that church, I'm not going. Amen. We have no idea how much of our lives are driven by our necessity for comfort. That's the natural state of humanity. It is unnatural. In fact, it takes Christ to come in and say, hey, it ain't about you, bucko. Amen. It's not about how well self is served. It's about how well you can make self serve someone else. Amen. 
Thank God Jesus didn't take the comfortable version of the cross. Now, can you just move the nails a little bit to the... Okay, that's much better. All right, now I'm ready to die for humanity. Can you please not hit me hard with the whip? Just a little, just so... For the dramatic effect, so everybody knows I got... And Jesus said, you're supposed to take up your cross and follow him. Whoa, 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 whoa. That is way too uncomfortable for me. Can I have a middle class version of the cross, please? With air conditioning and a pillow. Okay, here I go. Does anybody know that the Jewish, the Protestant, and the Catholic Ten Commandments are different? <laughs> nope. I know you're thinking, like, wait, wait, it's the same Bible. Oh, I know. You'd think that. Let, let, me, let me show you the difference here, and this will, this will probably help you understand why we don't embrace freedom and liberty the way that it was designed. In the Jewish version of the Ten Commandments, commandment number one, I am the Lord thy God that brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I know you're like looking for the command. That's the command. I'm the one that liberated you. I'm God. And I liberated you from slavery. That's number one. Don't you ever, ever, ever forget that. I liberated you from slavery. So then the Protestants come along. Because we're not in slavery. We're Americans. Right? Land of the free, home of the brave. Woohoo! We got flags. We don't need any of that slavery stuff because we don't need to be liberated by God. God didn't need to liberate us from anything. I was born free. I don't need God's liberation. I got the Star Spangled Banner. Protestant number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Skipping over the whole slavery thing. You think that's rough. What's Catholic number one? I'm the Lord thy God. You shall not have strange gods before me. They sound the same. Let me tell you two for Protestant. You shall not make any graven image. Let me tell you two for Catholic. You should not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. Skipped over that whole graven image thing in Catholicism. I wonder why. They would skip over idolatry in Catholicism that's not that important in that religion. Even in the Ten Commandments, do you see how we've literally changed these to be what we want them to be? If we had the exact same Ten Commandments that Orthodox Jews had, we would all recognize commandment one was, I was liberated by God. And then I'll have no other God before me, which includes graven images, which is what Jewish number two is. No other God, no graven image, no, no. All of it is to honor, to value, to respect, and to fear that God that liberated. This is, why, this is how we all need to understand that liberation and freedom have been badly misinterpreted. 
Number two, freedom. So that was liberation. Liberty, this is freedom. A state of exemption from the power or control of another. You are not in the power or the control of another. Living in that state. Not visiting it. Not vacationing there. Not watching a cartoon and pretending you're there. But you actually live there. That connection can only be made by Christ. There is no way into an actual freedom without the Son. John eight thirty six, He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You can't get indeedly free without the Son. And I know that for nobody in here, but there's people out there in YouTube land, there's atheists and agnostics, and there's, and there's people that don't embrace Christianity. They're saying, hey, 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 I can be free without Jesus. Okay. You can make up any kind of version of freedom you want to make, but there's only one that God defines. And God defines freedom as being liberated by the Son. And until you're liberated by the Son, you ain't free. Amen. Romans 6, and I'm going to do this in the BSB, verse 16. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves as obedient slaves... Man, I could stop there for 20 minutes. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves, notice you offer yourselves, you offer yourselves, a liberated person has to offer themselves as a slave. You cannot be taken into captivity. You have to offer yourself into captivity. Come on, born again people. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? You know, you should go ahead and get you a six-pack on the way home. Yeah, you know, I mean, Jesus made water into wine, right? I'm not a legalist. I'm not going to live in all those rules and laws about Christianity. Right? I don't have to do that stuff It's in the Bible antiquated. It's an old, dusty book. I can do it another way. You are slaves to the one you obey. You know what? You should be really mad right now. You know what they said about you? You should be angry. Now get angry. You know what the devil said? Woohoo! Got me another slave. Look at there, just made me a slave, just like that. All I had to do is just made somebody say something terrible to them, and they were mad for weeks. I'd put them right in shackles and let them around like a little donkey. You are slaves to the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin leading to death, or to obedience leading to righteousness. Remember, sin, noun, to miss the mark. When... The enemy comes into your life and convinces you to miss the mark that what God has created you for. It's not just because he wants you missing the mark. Like he's bored. Like trying to keep notches on his bedpost of how many people he can make miss the mark. No. What he's trying to do is get good little slaves. Just like any tyrant. Just like any oppressor. They need people 
to be their slaves. And so if He can convince you to get into depression, He can convince you to get mad at the people that got more money than you, to covet, to look at your neighbor's wife with one eyebrow raised, Whatever it is, whatever He can trick you into, subtly lead you into, and then take you captive, then He can have His own little army of minion slaves. And then He can send you on the next little task, and the next little task until you're like, man, I don't even like that person I'm sitting in church with. Oh, Belinda, I don't even know why she's a Christian. She's a terrible person. Did you see her over there fake raising her hands in worship? Now, she's not even really real Christian. I know because I'm a good Christian. <laughs> slavery. Taking slavery. Now you're going to go and give her that one-eyed, snide look. Yeah, I know about you, what you did last summer. And she's going to be like, what happened here? I was just over here loving God. You know how that beloved church is. Bunch of judgmental jerks. I'm not even going to go there no more. The enemy just take people by the nose ring and just drag them out of the building. I don't need to have church. I need to be sitting around with a bunch of hypocrites. I can watch YouTube and read the Bible myself. Okay. Way to go, slave. Verse 17, please. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin. Anybody notice the past tense there? You were once. You're not now. You were once slaves to sin. You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were committed. Teaching, doctrine, discipleship. Look it up, you interlinear people. Look it up. Teaching, doctrine, discipleship, all same root words. You wholeheartedly, notice the heart part. Not just the action part. Not check the box part. You wholeheartedly, with your whole heart, you believed, lived in, obeyed, embraced the freedom that comes from the doctrines that your Lord Jesus Christ delivered unto you. Verse 18. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now you're like, whoa, 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 slaves to righteousness. You know what righteousness is? You're a slave to living your life right. Man, wouldn't, wouldn't everybody in here line up for that slavery? So you're saying, I can literally be a slave to living my life right, being in right standing with God, being in right standing with other people, the same way I used to be enslaved to alcohol? The same way alcohol drove me? To, to lose my job and every single day I had to think about it and do it and, and I had to have it and, it and it and it gave me a divorce and it ran my kids off. The same way I was enslaved to this addiction, I can be enslaved to living my life right? Yes! Because he who the sun sets free is free indeed. That's the life you were intended to live. That's freedom. First you have to be liberated. The sun has to come in and throw off the shackles, throw open the door. And then you walk out of the prison and he says, okay, now let me show you what it's like to be a slave to righteousness. Okay, Lord, because all I know is prison. All I know 
is going to the bathroom in a little bitty hole in the ground in a dark place with no sheets. That's all I know. That's all right. Come on in. I'll disciple you into freedom and liberty. I will show you how to rule and to reign, how to be the head and not the tail, how to be above and not beneath. I'll show you. Follow me. Yes, sir. I'll follow you. Freedom is fragile. Freedom is fragile. Slavery is easy. And finally, independence. A state of being not dependent, complete exemption from control or the power of others as the independence of the supreme being. That is the Webster's Dictionary before they made Webster's go woke. As in the independence of the supreme being. No Webster knew that real independence was only embodied by God. I want you to think about the word in dependence. That means being dependent on something inside. Codependent means being dependent on something outside. Anybody that's born again should be fully dependent on Christ in you, the hope of glory. Independence is dependence in. It doesn't mean you're by yourself out there, lone ranger, trucking down the road on high-ho silver. I know all the kids in the room. What silver and what's a high-ho? Galatians 5, 1 and 13. It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. Freedom is dangerous. Jesus loved you so much that he gave you freedom, even knowing that you could take that freedom and flip him the bird. And he still gave it to you. He still gave it to you. Because he loves you. And the choice to be free is the only way for you to ever possibly love him back. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And most people don't know B. They can quote A. It was for freedom. Christ set me free. Woohoo, I'm free. What is the second part of that verse? There's a second part? I didn't even know there was a second part. Yeah. Defend it. Defend it. You've been liberated. You've been set free. Jesus set you free. He did all the hard work. Now what's your job? Defend it. Hey, Adam and Eve, here's a garden. It's filled with all the awesome stuff. Now guard it and keep it. Okay, God, thanks for the great garden. Hey, look, a snake that talks. They didn't defend it. They didn't guard it. You have to defend and guard your freedom and your liberty. Because other people will take it from you. Stand firm. And do not be encumbered once again by a yoke of slavery. What's a yoke? That means somebody comes along and says, Hey, let me help you live this life. Be dependent on me. You can't trust God. He'll let you down. And you know the Bible, that's kind of worthless. Let me yoke you into my way of life. Let me yoke you into my way of thinking. You know, I know your parents say that you should be sexually pure, but they're just stupid and old. Let me show you a better way. 
Here's a magazine. Check it out. Yeah, it's real. Verse 13. Brethren, you have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. You cannot serve one another in agape love until you've experienced liberation and freedom. It's fake. It's fake. It's like the Red Cross. Give us a bunch of money and we'll take 1% of it and do some good stuff and take pictures of it. To make you give us more money. We don't actually care about these people. We're not actually trying to help them make sure that they get out. No, nobody, the government's never sent a welfare check to someone hoping that they get out of welfare. They send a welfare check to someone hoping that they're going to continue to vote for them to send them more welfare checks. True independence creates personal responsibility. The world's independence creates codependence. We are completely independent from from needing any other person or system. But our liberty and freedom that produced our independence is only in Christ. So true independence is you don't need anybody else. But true independence means that you need Christ that produces that independence. I'm going to end with these five verses. Because John 15... This is the Lord giving you the understanding of this tension. The tension of you don't need anybody, and you fully need Him. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Just as no branch, we are the branches, can bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine. The branch is dependent on the vine. Neither can you bear fruit. You know how the rest of it went. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. There you go. Now you can go. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Some of you know that verse. Without him we can do nothing. Amen! Amen! Without him we can do nothing. But, I'm not without Him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, remain. Notice it's not visit. It's not vacation. It's not Sunday morning, check the box. Remain. Remain in me. If. You know, when the Lord puts an if on something, it's an if. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are gathered up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. Now we get to the scriptures. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Well, I asked. He He didn't do what I asked. Okay, you want me to believe you or Jesus? Please don't do that to me. Amen. Because you know I tell the truth. Don't ask me how that dress makes you look. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. When we remain in Him, 
then we have Him. And through Him, anything can come into our lives. When we don't have Him, then we don't have Him. And nothing can get into our lives. Without Him, we can do nothing. But with Him, anything we wish will be done for us. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, proving yourselves to be my disciples. Without him, we can do nothing. But with him, we can do all things. All things are possible to him that believes. Independence means being dependent in him. This is going to be an incredible outreach tomorrow because you are going to give folks an opportunity to truly understand liberty, freedom, and independence the way our founding fathers had a revelation of it. I pray you don't let these words fall to the ground, but embrace them in your heart wholeheartedly. Take them and let them affect your life. Please rise so I can bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things, that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health, prospering your body. And all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you, and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.